Hear the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 43. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, Jesus said, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your word this morning, help us to see it afresh. Help our hearts and our minds to be open and to receive what you want to teach us. What you want us to learn, ways you want us to see differently, ways you want us to live differently, that we might be more like Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. He was born in the last part of the fourth century. He was born to Christian parents, though he didn't take their faith to heart until around the age of 16. He was captured by pirates and held in prison for six years. This is from a journal entry. I was 16 years old, and I knew not the true God. But in that strange land, the Lord opened my unbelieving eyes, and although late I called my sins to mind and was converted with my whole heart to the Lord my God, who regarded my estate and had pity on my youth and my ignorance, and consoled me as a father consoles his children. The love of God increased more and more in me with faith and the fear of his name. The Spirit urged me to such a degree that I poured forth as many as a hundred prayers in a day. And even during the night in the forests and on the mountains where I kept my flock, the rain and the snow and suffering which I endured, I was excited to seek after God. He would later be called St. Patrick. He would be responsible for somewhere around 100,000 people coming to faith. The planting of 300 churches. Just an incredible legacy and impact and power in this man's life. And we are coming up on St. Patrick's Day. It's not far away. It happens during the season of Lent, which is kind of interesting because I don't know about you, but when I think about St. Patrick's Day, I think about green and beer 
and green beer and parades and celebrations and partying and my wife making a whiskey cake. And I mean, that's what I think of. And just to give you a little bit of history, the way we think of St. Patrick's Day probably starts in America in 1762 when Irish immigrants and the British army wanted to remember their culture and their heritage, and they had a parade in New York City that would become an annual event. And as that goes on, it becomes especially popular in the 1900s because the Irish bloc becomes more important politically, and because in 1948, President Truman attends the parade in New York City. And it just grows until there's all of these non-Irish celebrating St. Patrick's Day with green beer and other things that we do. Here's the thing I find fascinating. When you think about St. Patrick and you think about St. Patrick's Day, the way we do it, you don't need St. Patrick for St. Patrick's Day. In fact, he has very little to do with the way we celebrate St. Patrick's Day. Um, He was about the Lord and prayer and converting people and and sharing Christ. And St. Patrick's Day has virtually nothing to do with that today. We still celebrate it, and it's still called St. Patrick's Day. It just has very little to do with St. Patrick. I think quite often Christianity seems to have very little to do with Jesus and a whole lot more to do with my own views on things, whether that be my ethics or my politics or my finance. I do things my way. And what I want to look at today is one of the 12. And it's important, that phrase, one of the 12. In fact, it's used nine different times throughout the Gospels. Seven of them are in reference to Judas. It's as if it keeps reminding us that one of the disciples is the one who did what happened. One of the twelve did this. But I want to look briefly at Judas because I think there's a lesson there for all of us to consider in our lives about how we live and celebrate the Christian faith and even how we do our day-to-day normal life. Open up your Bibles, if you would, to Mark chapter 14. You can find in the Pew Bible. It's on page 1450. Page 1450. We just covered... That incredible, intimate, very challenging prayer of Jesus in the garden. And it ends because the betrayer is coming. In fact, the way Mark starts this, just as he was speaking, he had no more time to do anything else. The events were in motion. The betrayer, Judas, was coming. Here's what happens. And try to imagine this if you can. They're in a garden. Um, the garden has got olive trees in it. It's at the foot of a, of a mountain, a, a large hill. And across this valley, you can see Jerusalem. 
You can see the temple. And they're in this valley. It's very late at night in this garden. They've gone through where they have fallen asleep. Jesus has been praying. And then he goes back to them. And then he prays. And he goes back to them. And he prays. And then he says, enough. And here's what happens. Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. And with him was this crowd. And we learn that this crowd, they're soldiers. They come and they're armed. They have swords and they have clubs. We don't know exactly how many. It's not really told to us, although in John's gospel we get a hint there might be a whole lot of them. Um, This could be a large crowd of soldiers coming with Judas. And here comes Judas and he's leading them. And we know that they have come from a combination of chief priests, teachers of law, elders, I mean, everybody who was ever against Jesus. They're all coming at this moment. The betrayer had arranged a signal. All right, so here's what's going to happen. I am going to walk up to the right guy. I'm going to kiss him. And then you're going to know that's the one. And what you need to do is arrest him and lead him away under guard. In Greek, the idea behind this moment is I want you to seize him and bind him. Make sure you have him. So he can't get away. He can't do anything. Seize him and bind him. This whole scene, it reminds me of what you might see in a movie during a sting operation. Like you've got some guy who's got a wire, and he was once a part of the group, and he's led the feds to him, and he's like, now, so they don't get away, I'm going to sneak in. And I'll give you the key, to, I'll give you the sign, you'll know which one it is, and then everybody jump out and grab him before he gets away. Seize him under guard. And then we'll lead him back. And that's what happens. And it leads me to this question. Why? Why is Judas doing it this way? This does not make any sense. Why would he do it like this? Even Jesus says, am I leading a rebellion? Like, have you been following me these three years? You guys have all seen this. I've been in the temple courts teaching. If you look at his own teaching, such as love your enemy, or you see the way that Jesus is constantly having compassion on people, no matter who they are, Why would you ever do it this way? Why would you lead an army to come get Jesus? Now, I understand a little bit because Judas knows a few things. Number one, Jesus has the power to cast demons out of people. That's pretty powerful. Jesus stood up in a boat one time and told the weather to stop, and it did. That's pretty powerful. Judas also knows that very, a little time before this, sitting around a meal, G- Judas leaned over when Jesus said, "Is somebody's going to betray me. And Judas says, is it me? And G- Jesus says, you have said so. There's a number of things that might lead Judas to do something like this, and yet none of it matches the character of Christ. This is what I believe. Judas doesn't know Jesus. Despite being with him for three years, he doesn't know him. 
He doesn't know his character. He's not really been listening to his teaching. He doesn't really get who this man is. To ever think he would have to do this. Even Jesus is going, why are you doing this? Like, I told you all I was gonna ha- this was going to happen. Like, I was going to go away. People were going to come and get me. I was going to be betrayed. I was going to be turned over, and I was going to be beaten and killed. Why would you have to do it this way? Because you don't know me. Have you ever had that happen to you? Somebody treat you in a way that clearly they didn't know you. They didn't know your motives. They didn't know your character. They didn't know your person. I had something occur to me that I have never forgotten, even though it was many years ago. I used to go every Saturday morning and get donuts for my kids. And one particular Saturday, I went late. And I don't remember why. It was too long ago. But I showed up late to get donuts. And this particular donut place I always went to had apparently become super popular. Because I show up, and I'm driving in, and there are essentially 10 parking spots on this side, 10 parking spots on this side. The donut shop is right there. And they're all full. I had never seen that before. There are like 20 cars out there. So I pull way over to one side, and I just wait. I want people to get by me, but I'm waiting for a car to pull out. Next thing I know, somebody pulls behind me, and then somebody pulls behind them, and finally a fourth car. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? Well, then from the very back, I think it was, it might have been the third car, I think it was the fourth car, there's this loud honk. And that guy goes around everybody, and as he gets to me, he looks over, he's like, and he keeps going. And I'm like, I'm out of the way. Like, I can't get any more out of the way without getting in the street. I'm out of the way. Well, then the third car does the same. And then the second car was by me. He does the same, except as he's pulling out, there's this guy here who finally starts to pull out. He has to go back in. The second car goes by him. This guy pulls out. This is why I never forgot it. He pulls out, backs up to where I'm at, and gives me the bird. <laughs> he flips me off and then keeps going. And I'm like, what the heck? You people have no idea who I am, what I'm doing. I am actually trying to do the right thing right now. And I pull in. Well, I get into the donut shop. And the guy in front of me is taking forever. I mean forever. And there's this little part of me. I am ready to give him the bird. Like, <laughs> it's kind of what I'm thinking. And he turns to me and he goes, hey, buddy, I am so sorry. I'm like, I'm just, I'm trying to pick out the perfect donut for my wife. And I'm like, I am such a jerk. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, take your time. <laughs> and like everything kind of dissipates. But I thought, they do not know me. They would never have treated me like that if they knew what I was doing, why I was doing it, why I done what I did. They don't know me. Judas does not know Jesus. And I think I know why. And this is something we need to hear. I think there's a a really clear reason why Judas doesn't know him, despite the fact that he should. Have you ever gone on a road trip with a group of people and spent like a week with them? You're like sleeping in the same quarters, you're eating together, you're doing everything together. And like over that week, you get to know them and you feel bonded in a way that would take months if you weren't doing that. He's been on a three-year road trip with Jesus. I guarantee you one night they were all singing Kumbaya together 
And you don't do that unless you know those people. And yet, doesn't get him. I'm going to show you why. Turn to the book of John. It's on, if you're following along, you'll find it on page 15, 1531. Page 1531. John chapter 12. I want to briefly look at this passage because it tells us something about Judas. John chapter 1, uh, chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. That just happened. Here, here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, there's that phrase again, one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. All right, look up for a moment. Don't keep reading. He kind of has a point. I mean, and in some ways, you would think Jesus would especially get this. Jesus cares deeply for the poor. So this could have been sold for a year's wages. That could have been used to take care of the poor. That seems very practical and a really good idea. Instead of just breaking it and wasting it on the feet of Jesus. Except, now keep reading. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. The reason Judas does not know Jesus is because he has his own agenda. And it is not to get to know Christ. It is not to want to follow after Christ. It is not to want to take up my cross and all these things he talked about. He has his own agenda for being there. Now, I think he's learned a few things. In fact, even that statement right there, I think, was calculated. This could have been sold to the poor. I can imagine Judas going, I'm going to go away and sell this for 500 and come back and say, I got 300 denarii for this. Man, look at this. And then he stashes the 200 and still continues to steal from the three. He has his own agenda. And there is no way he's going to get to know Christ if he has his own agenda. Because it keeps him from seeing who Jesus really is. It keeps him from being open to the teachings of Christ, especially those teachings that might challenge the agenda Judas has. Especially those teachings that have nothing to do with what Judas is trying to achieve. He's got his own agenda. Now, frankly... To some degree, although not as much, all of the disciples have some of this. As you think through the Gospels, there's a number of things that happen that show you they don't get it. There's a point, the first time Jesus sends them out two by two to go do ministry, they come back really excited. And they're like, even the demons have to listen to us. And Jesus goes, no, do not be excited 
about that power you have. Be excited that your names are written in the book of life. They've completely missed where Jesus is. Later on, they tell somebody, stop casting out demons. You're not one of us. And Jesus goes, no. Like, if they're casting out my name, let them do that. What's wrong with you guys? They even try to stop parents from bringing babies to Jesus to be blessed. And Jesus goes, what are you doing? Perhaps one of the worst is when James and John, they go through a village, and the village won't believe in Jesus. And James and John go, hey, should we call fire down on them? And you can see Jesus just turn around and be like, what the hell? <laughs> Do I even know you people? Like, have you been with me? What are you talking about? They really don't get him at times. Do we? What are our agendas? What is standing in our way? And, and I'll tell you this. Agendas don't always have to be bad like Judas. I mean, I don't think the disciples, the rest of the disciples, I don't know they necessarily had bad agendas. They just had agendas that was there more than, theirs more than Jesus's. And, and that can get us in trouble. Um, how many of you know who Flacco the Owl is? <laughs> A few. Um, he just died yesterday. Um, he has been flying around Manhattan for a year and three weeks. He got out of the Central Park Zoo a year ago, and he has been just flying around Central Park and throughout Manhattan for over a year now. Um, and he has become this huge inspiration. I, I just I have to read some of these things um, because they're crazy. So since his death, again yesterday, offerings have been left beneath trees in the park including a furry owl doll, an owl carved out of a block of wood, a pencil portrait of the owl himself, letters, flowers. Um, there is a particular artist who has painted eight murals for this owl around the city. Um, he, he described the owl as, he was my therapy. He helped me to find freedom. Um, Brianne Delgado, 34, she called him a muse. She said, I feel like he's showing us how we can break free of our cages, the mundane, the things that don't serve us, the things that hold us back. Um, another public school teacher from Manhattan, she would sit around the tree and she would talk to all of those who would come by, all of them wanting to say how much they loved the owl. And she said, he seemed magical, like a storybook version of New York. There was even a 73-year-old nurse named Reuben, who said he's a symbol of just being out and letting the sun hit you. It's a heart-opening experience of what it means to be free. Now, I, I don't want to make light of the inspiration because they ins this owl inspired so many people. But I will tell you this. None of that had anything to do with that owl. None of them sat down and talked to the owl. To ask the owl how the owl felt about being out. In fact, they almost caught the owl numerous times because they were worried about a number of things that could hurt the owl. Do you know how the owl died? He flew into a building and got traumatic injuries and died. Which is one of the things they were worried about. No one actually cared what the agenda of the owl was. Only how the owl and they could read into 
what the owl meant to them. And again, I have no issues with those. Freedom, all the great images, all that stuff. However, how often do we do that? Do we read into other things our agenda, including Christ? That is what Judas did. That is what the disciples did. And the biggest danger in that, you will never know Jesus the way he wants to be known if you come to him with your own agenda. We can't even know each other the way we should be known if we approach one another with an agenda. If I just want to get something from you, if I just want you to know something about me, if I just care about this other thing, but not actually you, getting to know you, listening to you, caring what you care about, I will never really get to know you. And we'll never get to know Christ. We'll never get to know his mission, his values, what meant the most to him, why he did some of the incredible things he did if we keep approaching him with our agendas. And I think at times it may be as simple as this. As you are going through life, I want to challenge you to do two things. Number one, intentionally, explicitly, actually do this. Ask Christ, what do you want from this situation? What do you want from this conversation I'm about to have? What do you want from this very difficult thing that right now I'm pursuing my agenda? I'm complaining and I'm grumbling. And What do you want from this situation? What do you want from this relationship? Intentionally, explicitly ask Jesus and then listen. And see if maybe you aren't led in a different way than you might be on your own. And combine that with seriously learning who he is every day. Because he is so different. He's so much more than any other person that we know. That we can't just compare him. We can never just say, I know him. Because far too often... What we think we know, we are missing something. I'll give you a real simple example. And it is so ironic that this was brought. I just came back from a conference for our main kind of diocese, our network, AMIA. Um, while at the conference, the main speaker told a story. And it was funny because he gave this example of something he saw in Texas, in the Dallas area. And I have seen the exact same thing. And here's why it's crazy. It's a truck. There's this truck driving around the Dallas area. Big truck. And it has a gun rack that you can see clearly through its back window. And it has guns on the rack. And it has a bumper sticker where the guns are that says, Don't mess with Texas. And then right below that it has another sticker. John 3.16. 
Now, if you're not sure what that says, it is God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not be condemned, but would have everlasting life. Now, you just put those two things together and tell me how well they fit. We so often think Jesus is so much like us that we miss what he's really like because we aren't open to saying, Lord, what do you want? Lord, what are you like? Lord, what are you looking for? What matters to you? What do I see you doing in your word? Because that's what I need to be doing. That's the agenda I need to take. And ultimately, it leads us, and I'll end with this. (laughs) All right, I'm I'm almost going to end with this, but I do have to tell you, I thought this was... Kind of interesting. Until the 1970s, the pubs in Ireland were closed on St. Patrick's Day because of the actual, like, religious part of that holiday. Finally, in the 1970s, they started opening them. And then in the 1990s, they, like, pushed the debauchery. Why? Tourism. They wanted people to come in and make money off of it. Again, your own agenda. I mean, talk about your own agenda. This right here is the prayer of St. Patrick. This is what I'll leave you with. Um, I'm going to ask you, in place of our normal prayers, if you would kneel as I say this prayer. I will also have this prayer in the weekly email if you want a copy of it. But I believe this prayer says everything we need to say about having his agenda. As I rise today, may the strength of God pilot me, the power of God uphold me, The wisdom of God guide me. May the eye of God look before me. The ear of God hear me. The word of God speak for me. May the hand of God protect me. The way of God lie before me. The shield of God defend me. The host of God save me. May Christ shield me today. Christ with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ in me. Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit, Christ when I stand, Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. Lord, may that be the cry of our hearts. May our lives become an unending, passionate desire to know you, your agenda, your way of life, that it might become ours. And this we ask in the holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen.